but it's my privilege to be able to just share a little bit uh, this afternoon with you. And it is a privilege, actually, um, to just better unpack the Word of God with us. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, I was up in the Cairngorms, which is the plateau up in Scotland that kind of gets fairly iced up and snowed up in winter. And I was up there with some friends of mine, and we had what's called, pretty well anyway, a whiteout. And a whiteout is really when you can just about see your hand when it's in front of you there, and you can't see anything hardly at all. And you have to navigate through the skill of uh, compass and map to avoid falling off the edge at the edge of the Cairngorm Plateau. And the guy I was with, I absolutely had a high degree of trust in. You know, being with someone that I trusted more than myself gave me an incredible amount of peace in a situation that could have been somewhat disastrous. Today I want to take a well-known story, and you do know this story well, but I trust that God will speak afresh through it, and I want this to help you face the storms that you face in your life. Maybe some of you are in those storms at the moment. We spent a week looking at storms as a, as a, a bunch of leaders across Forge. This, we've been on retreat this last week in Ashburnham. And we were looking at storms of disappointment and storms of suffering and storms of shame. And I don't know what storm you're in or have been in. I don't know what storm you're, you might face this year or what storm I'll face this year. But somehow I want to help us navigate those storms whenever they come, uh, whatever they might be. So as we read this passage, this well-known story, I want you to use your imagination. You're in this story. You're in this narrative, this boat, with these disciples. I'm going to be reading from Mark 6, verse 45 to 56. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. I've been married 34 years. Some of you were at my wedding. That's shocking, isn't it, Chris Grant? <laughs> you were there, weren't you? <laughs> and I'm still getting to know my wife, learning how to be a good husband. Summer 22, we went on a marriage course together, 
because I wanted, despite having been married for, in that stage, I guess 33 years, still wanted to invest in our marriage together. It was a bit unnerving as we had to write letters to each other about all kinds of things and then read them and meet together and talk. And yet, actually, we both came out of it saying it was an incredibly precious time. I put something on Facebook to try to, I suppose, just make the point to people who see my Facebook page that actually, even though you've been married a long time, you still need to invest in relationships. And I had one friend of mine saying something like, well, I've been married for 18 years. I thought I was the perfect husband. And I said, yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) We still had, Helen and I, and still have much to learn about who we are and how to be with and for each other. Hold that story. In Mark chapter 6, it's typical Mark, packed with activity, much of it focused on the question that we've dittoed already today, who is Jesus? Who is he? It's still a question And some of us have walked with him for many, many years. It's still a question that we need to face. Well, I certainly do. Who is Jesus? Do I really believe who he claims to be? Do I fully understand who he is? If I did, how would that change me? I still need to get to know him better, despite having walked with him for many, many years. Yes. Mark chapter 6 opens with Jesus performing many miracles and powerfully preaching in the synagogue with the result that people were amazed. But they didn't want to admit anything special about him. They were offended by him. They simply said, but, but this is the carpenter whose family we know. They live down the road. We know where he comes from. There can't be anything special about him. If we want to ask the question, who is Jesus? They simply want to say, he's the carpenter. This is followed by Jesus sending out the twelve who preached and healed and delivered in Jesus' name. And King Herod hears about what's going on and a debate ensues in this chapter about who is this Jesus? Is he John the Baptist, now raised from the dead, whom Herod had beheaded? Is is this John come back to life in some way? Is he Elijah? Or is he some other prophet that we're supposed to recognize? And the apostles, they come to report back to Jesus, and they try to get to a quiet place. But the crowds are gathered there, and you know the story. It gets late, and we have the feeding of the 5,000, a story that Mark specifically links to the story that we've just read. And finally, we have our passage. Ask yourself, as Mark has wanted us throughout this chapter, if not in his whole gospel, to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is he revealed to be in this passage, this storm? Who is he? I want to walk through the story. And I want you to place yourself in this story. I want you to use your imagination. At last, Jesus has got some quiet. 
If you look back in Matthew 6, you'll see that around the feeding of the 5,000, he was trying to get the disciples on their own, but the crowds wouldn't go, would they? And so he ends up ministering to the crowds, but now the crowds have been dismissed, and he sends his disciples on ahead, and Jesus gets some solitude at last to pray. It's a desire and a habit, when possible, that we see Jesus seeks to fulfill, to get time away with God, his Father. Not a bad habit to cultivate, is it? (laughs) don't think I'm very good at that. But it's challenging to cultivate that habit. And so the disciples have gone on ahead, and they're in the boat. And it's tough. Now, don't miss this. They are what? Many of them, fishermen. They sail. They know what it is to be in boats. And I'm sure this isn't the first storm that they've been in. They know what they're doing. But even in their so-called area of expertise, it isn't going well. Maybe the area where they think, we don't really need God in this. We don't need Jesus Here, it was great in the feeding. Yes, we needed him. Great in the healings. Yes, we needed him. But this is our area. This is what we do. And we don't need to incline our ear to him to ask for his input, his advice, or his involvement. We know what we're doing. Do we ever think that? This is something I can do. And I don't need God. Do we compartmentalize in What areas we need God's help? Or do we recognize that Jesus wants to be involved in everything? Even those things that you may be gifted in, he still wants to be involved. So while they're doing their thing, Jesus is doing his. Praying, connecting with God. And Jesus sees them from the dry land, straining at the oars, but continues to pray. Don't miss this. God sees. Some of you maybe need to hear that this afternoon. God sees you. Written on his scroll, we've heard, is his affirmation of you. Those things that are going on in your life that No one else sees, he does. He does. And his heart is one of a heart of love towards you, we've heard. But though he sees, he doesn't yet come out on the lake. He sees them straining at the oars, But it says it's not until just before dawn that he goes out to them. So they've been there some time, it seems. Why the delay? Can you see the ditto? God's timing. Why the delay? Have you ever felt like that? God, will you hurry up? I expect that's what Karen was shouting at God when she was uh, speaking earlier. (laughs) Will you hurry up? The psalmist certainly gets impatient with God at times. Psalm 89 is just one example in verse 46. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? 
Or Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? We've heard that we can meet him face to face, but the psalmist is going, how long will you hide your face? That's how he's feeling at that moment. And don't we feel like that at times? Don't we? Or is it only me? We've definitely felt that. I've definitely felt that over these last few years. How long, Lord? As we've been through some... Uh, actually, some of you would be pleased to hear this. I saw Henry Ford yesterday at the airport. I was picking up Ben and Miriam, and Henry Ford was there. I had a little encounter with him, and he said, how are you? And I said, well, it's been probably the hardest four or five years we've had. How long I've cried out to Lord. When are you going to change some of this stuff? When are you going to act? Do we think we shouldn't say that to God because we're Christian? The psalmist certainly seems happy to. I do think God can handle our how long. He knows anyway what we're feeling, doesn't he? So why not be honest with him? God, it feels like you have left me. It feels like you've forgotten about me. It feels like you're still over on the shore side while I'm straining at the oars to stay afloat. And though you've seen me, why aren't you coming? We hit our storms, don't we? We're tossed around. We absolutely cry out at times, how long? It may be a storm of suffering. It may be a storm of disappointment. It may be a storm of unanswered prayer. It may be a storm of, who knows, confusion. Jesus finally comes to them walking on the water. What were they supposed to think? What would you think? You're in the boat and this figure starts walking on the water towards you. They think it's a ghost and are terrified. I think I might have thought that as well. (laughs) Is it surprising? When did you last see someone walking on the water? I think I'd still be a bit terrified if I saw someone walking on the water. But who is it who walks on the water that I think Mark wants us to notice? Remember the question, who is Jesus in your storm? Job 9 verse 8, he, speaking of God, alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. The wording in that passage when it's translated to Greek is very similar to the wording in Mark's gospel that was written in Greek. Both of them have stormy seas. Both of them have waves. Both of them have this walking on the water. In the Old Testament, the seas were understood as that place of chaos, the place where the sea monsters dwelt, Leviathan, Rahab, the dragon, they came from the place of sea, the place of chaos. Psalm 89, again, you rule, God, over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab, the sea monster, like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. In that psalm, the Defeat of the sea and Rahab at the time of creation are presented as the ground of confidence in God to deliver from their present distress. Remember, we've heard today, 
Remember what God has done before? Where does your confidence come from? Is it that the God who defeated the sea monster, the God who spoke and the seas of chaos had boundaries and came into order? Can we look back in our lives and see where that God has spoken and acted before and draw confidence as we remember what he's done, who he's been, as I face the storm today or tomorrow? I think that's one place we can draw from in our storms. But have you noticed the detail in this story? At long last, as the disciples, well, they weren't, they thought they could sort it out, but as we probably would be going, how long, O Lord? Jesus comes on the water, but instead of walking and getting straight into the boat, he makes out that he's going to pass them by. Hold on. You've seen the storm. You saw it when you were on the shore. You didn't come. And even when you came, you're going to pass them by. Why? Have you ever felt like that? I know you see God. I think Mark's after something with us here, with those two small words, passing them by. I think that Mark wants to say, in answer to the who is Jesus, there's a revelation moment going on here, at least for his hearers, even if not for the disciples in that boat. One of the great revelatory moments of God to Moses in Exodus 33 and 34 is when Moses is supposed to lead the people and he says, but who's going to go with us? And if you don't go with us, then don't lead us up from here, but show me your glory. And what does God say? What does Yahweh, the great God, say? He says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock and my glory is going to come pass you by. And in chapter 34, it happens. Moses goes up the mountain with the new tablets and God passes by. And as he passes by, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger. And we get this amazing revelation of who this God is that has called Moses from the burning bush, that has called a people to be his people, that is leading them on. And in that passing by moment, he reveals the kind of God he is. Here is Jesus in a gospel and a chapter where Mark wants to say, who is this one? And as he walks on the water, as only God does, He's going to pass by because he's about to reveal something of who he is. This is a moment for you to see something more of who this Jesus is. Here's a revelatory moment. What God does, Jesus does. And we see something of his character coming in the storm. Has God ever made out as if he's going to pass you by? Is that what the delay is when we cry out, how long? It's not that he hasn't seen. He has. It's not that his heart isn't a heart of love and affirmation. It is. It's not that he's ignoring you or me. But maybe the delay, the passing by, is him actually going, I want to get your attention. I want you to seek 
me. I want you to draw closer. I, for one, don't like it. I wish God would do it when I want, how I want, as I want, now. But God has a deeper purpose at times where he wants to save. But Phil, I want your attention. Though you've walked with me for however many decades it is, you don't know me as well as I want you to know me. And so I'm going to act as if I'm passing by and you're going to be crying out, how long, O Lord, because I want your attention. I want to reveal something of my nature to you in a deeper way. I want to walk with you more closely. I may have shared this with you before, but in my sabbatical last in 2022, and as at Feldy Brennan, as I approached the cross over the promontory that looked over the valley below, I found myself, you know, we were in a dark place. God wasn't speaking a lot, or certainly I wasn't hearing him. And I was definitely crying out the how long, O Lord, and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something to turn some stuff around. And I hung on to that cross. I found myself holding that cross, just gripping the cross and just, I don't know, can't remember all of it now, but just being there. And encountering something of the presence of Jesus. And before we left that place, a couple of days or so later, I found myself writing some stuff on paper and putting it at the foot of the cross. And while we were there, we'd been given a, a bit of a retreat program to go through. And this I think I have shared some of, but I was pointed to Psalm 139. You know, where can you go from my presence? And we walked through this and a phrase jumped out at me. God began to reveal himself. Even the darkness is as light to you, it says. Really? Wow. So even when I don't see, and I wasn't seeing, your, your seeing is not hindered at all. Everything is perfectly clear for you, even though I don't see. The God who sees. And God began to speak to us. And reveal something of his character. And the storm, the darkness, the dark place moved from being a place of simply how long, O oh Lord, to a place of encounter. And actually, probably I would say the how long didn't change. We're still like when, 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 and that was summer 22. But God was starting to reveal himself. Fast forward to autumn. Just gone. One of my son's mates is in the house when Helen and I come in. He leaves the house. Two minutes later, he comes back in. He'd obviously left the front door open. <laughs> And he goes, I think Jesus wants me to pray for you. And very sensitively, he prayed for the two of us. I think that was in the autumn. 
And I understood something of the kindness of God and the seeing nature of God. Now, the obedience of one young man strengthened us in the storm for how long? And then since then, I have to say, things have started to change. But it's been a long wait. And if people ask me, as I said to Henry yesterday, I said, the spring is coming. The sun is starting to show through. It's not fully through. God's revealing. God's drawing us deeper. And God's healing. And God's there. When we hit those storms, we might, with those disciples, simply think it's a ghost. We might wonder why, how long, O oh Lord? Are you passing me by? And we kind of know intellectually he's not. But actually what he's doing is maybe drawing us deeper. Wants to reveal something more of who he is. When Jesus gets to them, what does he say? He says, it's I. Literally, I am. Where have you heard that before? Who was God revealed to first? As Moses, to, to Moses firstly, the I am. This, who is Jesus? For Mark's hearers, this isn't just a prophet. This isn't John the Baptist raised to life. This isn't just the carpenter's son. This isn't Elijah, but this is God himself. Now revealed in human form, coming to you in the storm and saying, I am, he's with you. And he gets into the boat, and what happens? The wind dies down. They reach their destination. Now the fear of a ghost turns to amazement. Jesus showing that he subdues and controls creation just as God did in the beginning, speaks of God's sovereignty. As he gets into the boat, the storm is calmed and they reach their destination. In those long periods of time that we sometimes face where we're going, how long? Feels like it will never end, doesn't it? Will this ever change? But it does. God will get us to the destination that he has for us. And then at the end of the passage, if you're doubting some of what I've said, Mark gives us a big clue as to how to understand this story. It talks about the disciples' hearts being hardened. They didn't understand. And Mark says this. They were completely amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. Is that a typo? Shouldn't he have said, 
they were completely amazed because they hadn't understood about the walking on the water. And so Mark is himself trying to say, you've got to understand the loaves to understand something of what's going on here. Clearly connecting this story with the feeding story. And through whom did God provide for his people in their wilderness? Here is Jesus now walking on the water in Mark 6, following a feeding of 5,000. An obvious allusion to Moses feeding the children of Israel in the desert place. Now we have an episode involving water and Moses has led the people through water. We're set up to notice this connection. This is God's prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, it says in one of the books that Moses wrote, a prophet like Moses will come again. You must look for him. And Mark wants us to go, and here he is. The one like Moses that we're to look for is here in your midst. But this one is more than a prophet. This is one who subdues creation. This one is one who's sovereign over creation. This one is just like God, because he is. And once they get to their destination, normality is resumed. Normality for Jesus is crowds gathering and healings taking place and miracles and people bringing them from all over the place. That's a good normal, isn't it? So let's draw it to land. I don't know what storm you're facing have faced, maybe will face. I don't know what storms I will still yet face. But we're set up here to see that there is one like Moses, but more than Moses, who is God himself who walks with us. We're set up to see that it may look like he's passing us by. It may be the how long, O Lord. It may be the God's time is always the right time, as we heard this afternoon. But then in his time, once he's done the work in us, because he's always working, we sang, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when I'm still crying out, how long, O oh Lord, he's preparing to reveal something of himself to me. That's the Jesus that we're seeking to follow. And that's the Jesus who I can put my trust in that he will get me to the destination that he's got for me. In Mark's first account of sea calming, which is in Mark chapter 4, that chapter ends with the question, who then is this? In his second account in Mark 6, he answers the question, this is Jesus, the Christ the coming one, God himself, the one who fulfills all the Old Testament hopes. And so for us, as we cry out to him, as we strain at the oars, even in our apparent areas of expertise, God sees. And in his time, he comes to us, calms the storm, gives us peace in the storm, and gets us to our destination. And in the midst of it, reveals more of himself and takes us deeper.